Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. Can we pray before we move on with our time? As we enter prayer now, we pause to be still, to breathe slowly, to recenter our scattered senses upon the presence of God. As we enter prayer now, we pause to be still, to breathe slowly and to recenter our scattered senses upon the presence of God. Amen. Amen. For those who are new here this morning, my name is David, and I'm one of the leaders here in Redeemer. It's great to see uh, some new faces in the room. You're really welcome. We're in this series that seems to have been going on for a long, 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 long time called Liberated by Love which has been this teaching series looking at the ministry of Jesus and ordinary people like you and me and their encounters with Christ and these people discovering the good news of the gospel. And that good news is this, that God in Christ is remaking this world. And he's remaking this world around an axis of love And that is good news. And we maybe know that in another way. We we call that the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus called that the kingdom of God. And there's a kingdom, it's a kingdom like no other. And um, that kingdom ushers in this liberation. And it is a liberation of love. Um, To us, to all of us, a liberation from everything that would seek to enslave us, oppress us, bind us, hold us, lie to us, or keep us captive. The good news really is good news for everyone. And today in the church, we know this is Pentecost Sunday. And so we're moving in our series from Jesus and the Gospels into the book of Acts. So we're gonna move forward as liberated by love uh, encounters in Acts. And we've already got a bit of a taster of that because John Heron beautifully opened up Acts chapter eight a number of weeks ago and the encounter Uh, between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And so we're kind of going to move forward a little bit in Acts for the next month or so. Um, This morning, well, as you know, I always kind of talk about this, but in Redeemer, we do love the Christian calendar. Um, It's a mapping of the Christ story across our year, across the seasons and months of our year, Uh, Advent through Christmas, Lent through Easter, and then we've got Ascension Sunday, in the Pentecost Sunday. And I love the calendar because it constantly locates us in the story. So you're walking through your year, every single year you hit upon those calendar events. This is not the first Pentecost Sunday for any of us, for many of us. But the beautiful thing is the story then intersects with our story at that point and often in new and distinct ways. And oh, how we need to immerse ourselves over and over again in the story of Christ in the story of Jesus and the story of God to nearly keep us from being shaped by all of those narratives that are out there to kind of give shape all those narratives of our time 
We need to immerse ourselves in the story of Jesus. Pentecost Sunday marks the end of Easter. Did you know that Easter is not just a day? It's not just a weekend. It's a whole season of 50 days. And Pentecost today is the end of Easter. Um, we fast for 40 days in Lent, and then we party for 50 days. There's 10 more days of partying than there is fasting um, in Christian tradition. Um, but it's not just the end of a season, Pentecost, it's not just the end of Easter, but it is the beginning of something new. And essentially, and I know Chloe has been teaching our kids this recently, that it is essentially the birthday of the church. That is essentially what happens at Pentecost. We're going to look at that this morning. It's when the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the divine, the source of all living things, the, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ is poured out among all peoples, and it inaugurates this thing that we now call church. There was no church before this moment. There was this group of small Jewish sect of followers of Jesus, and we're going to get into that this morning. Then this cataclysmic event of Pentecost happens. And before we jump into reading the scriptures, Acts in Acts chapter two, I want to just look at Acts one for one second. It begins with Jesus in in a very strange, miraculous, and mysterious way. He returns to God the Father. It's called the Ascension. He returns to God the Father, and it, and it really signifies, that event signifies Christ's enthronement. I loved what Ian Ryans brought last week. He brought a beautiful quote from N.C. Wright. It says that Easter tells us that Jesus is himself the first part of the new creation, and his ascension tells us that he is now running it. Basically, you have this interesting story in Acts 1. Jesus ascends, and he, he says to his followers, this is not the end, because I'm returning to the Father in that mysterious way. We always kind of point up as if Jesus ascended, but he moved into a different realm. He moved back to, to the heavenly realm with his Father. There's a mystery to that. He said to his followers, I'm not leaving you. Um, it's not the end, it is the beginning. And he nearly predicts, well, he does predict Pentecost in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna just dive into Acts chapter two of Pentecost, pull out two or three things from that story. And then we're gonna lead ourselves to the table behind us at the table of grace. And we're gonna have some worship to finish. Um, so Jesus basically says to his followers, hey guys, we're only getting started here. He returns to the Father. You thought resurrection was all, all that there was. It's only the first fruits of this new thing that I'm doing, bursting forth. Um, so if you've got a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind. We're gonna, I'm gonna read all of Acts chapter two. Um, I think it's really great to read scripture publicly and we're gonna just hang out there for 21 verses. So pull it up on your smartphone or follow along on the screen behind. Acts chapter two, verse one. So when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire, as of fire, appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at the sound, the crowd gathered and were bewildered because each one 
heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? There's a whole bunch of different languages going to be listed there. I'll go for a Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Paraga, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome. I practiced that in front of the mirror loads earlier. <laughs> Each speaking in their own languages, we heard them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. So we're not in Ireland here. <laughs> uh, no, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams, even among my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone he calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And here ends the reading. May the Lord bless the reading of the scriptures. So what's going on here? We're going to dive into this for a, for a minute, and then we're going to see what we can pull out of it. Um, thousands of Jews had descended upon Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. If you go back and read the Old Testament, you'll discover that Pentecost was actually a Jewish feast. So the Holy Spirit hadn't come. It was, it, was, it was a festival 50 days after Passover. It's mentioned in, the first, in five places in the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't call it uh, Pentecost, of course. That's the Greek name. The Jewish feast of, of Pentecost is Shavuot, meaning the feast of the harvest or the feast of weeks. So basically... It was a Thanksgiving celebration for the first fruits of, of harvest, uh, specifically the wheat harvest. So there you go. The Jewish people would gather to Jerusalem. There was, there was maybe two or three times in the year that the Jewish people would descend upon Jerusalem. And this was one of them. Um, later, Shavuot was also connected to a celebration of the giving of the law to Moses the tablets of stone, the giving of the law, the covenant of Moses, it was connected to that too. So in first century Palestine, there's two harvests each year, and this was the first one that they're celebrating. So basically, Shavuot was this pilgrim festival. Um, according to Jewish law, particularly all the Jewish men would come from near and far to Jerusalem and be in attendance at the celebration. Um, Shavuot was also a holiday, so think of it like a a bank holiday, I guess. The schools were closed, the shops were closed, it was party time. And there were some sacrifices and some celebrations. The priest would, um, you know, would, would take two loaves of freshly baked wheat bread, um, baked, of course, from the freshly harvested wheat, 
and would offer them before the Lord. So that was, this was a festival that was already, uh, already happening. And in short, as I say, it was a great and grand harvest celebration. The streets of Jerusalem would have been filled full of pilgrims who'd come from every point on the compass to basically celebrate God, Yahweh's goodness to them. Interestingly, many would have stayed from Passover. They've traveled a long way to Jerusalem. The Passover, Passover, remember, was when the time that Jesus was, was in Jerusalem himself, was trialed, was crucified. So many of the, 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 the Jews would have stayed for the 50 days in Jerusalem, including the followers of Jesus. We find the followers of Jesus still in the city, and they're participating in the feast along with everyone else. And the followers of Jesus gather in this upper room, and this strange phenomenon happened. We read of it just a moment ago. Um, there was this, from heaven, a sound like a wind. It says it wasn't the wind, it was like a wind, uh, a violent wind. There was divided tongues of fire um, appeared on each of them. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and started speaking in different languages. A really strange event. There's a lot going on here. But it's really helpful for us to know that in the Scriptures, anytime there's wind or fire in the Scriptures, it often basically symbolizes uh, when heaven meets earth. So there's, there's, it's powerful symbolic uh, imagery um, as well as being this fascinating phenomenon of an event that actually happens. There's something really important for the Jewish people going on here. Remember, there was no such thing as Christianity. <laughs> There's no such thing as Christianity at this point. This is, we're, we're, we're living inside this Jewish sect called the Way, the followers of Jesus. Jesus had just ascended to the Father, just left. Um, so every time you're in the Scriptures, if you go back to the Old Testament, you see Moses meeting with God. There's wind and fire. Um, the commandments given at Sinai, there's wind and fire um, and all of that. So there's, there's a meeting of heaven and earth. That's what's going on here. Three things I want to draw out from this this morning is presence, um, hopefully come up in all people, expansion to all people, and inclusion of all people. So in all people, to all people, and of all people. Let's jump into the first one, the presence. So the big idea here going on at Pentecost theologically, you might say, is that, that this is temple space happening. This, this giving of the Holy Spirit is temple space, the place where heaven meets earth. It means that that's the dwelling place of the presence of God. So here in the ancient world, when a new kingdom dawns, there's usually a king that's raised up, and there's usually a temple that's built. That's what happens. And here... In the case of Jesus, we have him as king raised up in a very different way. He's, he's raised up in resurrection life, and then he ascends to the Father. And then in Acts 2, we have the t a temple built, but it's a different kind of temple. It's a temple with a difference. It's a temple that is actually a people, and the Holy Spirit fills that temple. Um, the story of God is basically a story about God's presence. It's basically a story of God's presence. If we jump back to, to Genesis, we have God in a place, in a garden. And we move through the, the Old Testament, we have God's presence in a moving tent, a tabernacle. And then we move a little bit further in the story and we have a physical temple. It's where God's presence dwelt 
where people understood that they could meet with the divine. And then the story goes on and we have God's presence located in particular places and then, of course, in a person. From a place to a person, we have God's presence located in Jesus. And, and then it moves on even further because at Pentecost, we see God's presence not in one person, but in many people. So we have this progression, this, this movement of God's presence from a particular place where you could have particular coordinates. <laughs> That's at least how people understood it. Right the way through to God's presence actually filling all people. It's quite an amazing thing. If you want to sum up what's really going on, it's the story of God's presence. And God promised an outpouring of his spirit in, in the prophet Joel, and we'll look at that a bit later. Um, God has come to be among his people. So Pentecost is the fulfillment of that promise that he would pour out his spirit upon all men and women, all sons and daughters, all, all prophets and prophetesses. God has restored his presence with all people at Pentecost. According to the, the Apostle Paul, we, the church, God's own people, are a temple in the midst of the world. We are the dwelling place of God. We're no longer strangers to God, but fellow citizens of the household of God, um, being knit together as brothers and sisters knit together into this household, into this family, into this holy temple of the Lord, that the people we, even here this morning, Redeemer, we are a temple of God. We, we are the dwelling place. The Spirit is here. He inhabits this place. He inhabits His people. He is at work. And God's presence in Jesus doesn't end, of course, with His death, His resurrection, His ascension, but in the giving of the Spirit to His people, sending His people out to the world. I love what St. Athanasius says, that the Word made himself bearers of the flesh in order that human beings might be bearers of the Spirit. There's a beautiful connection between the incarnation and Pentecost, that Jesus became human and took on flesh so that we as humans could take on the Spirit. It's kind of like a collapsing of heaven and earth. Um, and in in many ways, it's really echoing what happened in Genesis 1, that we're made in the image of God. We're like little little gods. We're, we're being made into the image of God, being restored into the image of God. Presence, presence in all people. Number two, expansion to all people. God is on the move in this story. Um, and the Jesus story is on the move, and the recreation project is on the move, the kingdom of God is on the move, the liberation by love movement is on the move, and it's in a different phase. And the disciples, the strange thing happens, they're filled with the Spirit, these fire, wind, and speaking in different languages, it all happens, and they, they spill out onto the streets, and all the pilgrims are there for the festival, as we've already said, and they're amazed, they say, how are these Galileans speaking in my language? And the point there is, how are these uneducated men and women speaking multiple languages? They, they could be understood, and we listed, I think there was maybe 15 different regions represented in that list that I read out. Some of them think, are they drunk? Um, it's nine o'clock in the morning, apparently. Are they drunk? Um, but no, um, 
there's more going on here. And Luke, the author, he kind of interrupts the scene and sets the context and says, now there were devout Jews from every nation. So those 15 different regions all gathered. And Luke is trying to say something here. He's trying to say that this small Jewish sect of Jesus followers is going to go global. It's expanding. Um, and Peter recommissioned, of course, we remember a few weeks ago we had the two charcoal fires and Peter and his denial. And then the second charcoal fire on the beach, he has breakfast with Jesus on the beach and Jesus restores him. Now here we have Peter filled with the Spirit, gets to his feet and preaches the gospel. And 3,000 people receive the Spirit and, and come to be baptized. And it's this birth of the church. The birthday of the church happens in this very moment. An interesting little point, I suppose, just like an echo here is that if you go, you remember Shavuot, um, in the Jewish understanding, would be there to represent, to celebrate um, the giving of the first covenant when Moses comes down from Sinai and he finds the people worship. There's actually 3,000, there's thousands of people worshiping the golden calf. 3,000 people on that day died um, at the giving of the first um, covenant. You fast forward to Pentecost, and you have this very interesting comment. There's 3,000 people give their lives to, to Christ. They are filled with the Spirit, and they are, they're baptized. And I guess there's an interesting move going on here. There's a reversal. There's this powerful, beautiful reversal happening where life in the Spirit is displacing death. Um, and the Spirit is actually fulfilling the law. Um, God's agenda, God's aim, God's movement is having its way in God's ways. Um, and it's really, really interesting. So we have the presence of God in all peoples. We have the expansion of the story to all peoples. And then thirdly, we have the inclusion of all people in this story. The truly amazing thing is that the Spirit does leave the building, but not just physically, not just to the 15 regions that I just mentioned and beyond, but across every socioeconomic barrier, across every dividing line. Galatians 3 says this, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God by faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Like, we could sit for a week and discuss that verse. There's so much theology going on there. Think about that for one second. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. I mean, there is just myriads of tradition and division just there we could talk about for weeks. You have slave nor free, the socioeconomic divides there. And then you have male nor female. In Christ, there's no male nor female. Like, think about that for a second. I mean, this is radical. Radical breaking down of the dividing lines between us. And again, there's a motif here. There's a great reversal. And it's not the reversal from death to life only. But this reversal is a reversal from separation to inclusion. And there's another Old Testament story that that's working against. 
and it's the story of the Tower of Babel. Um, in that story back in the Old Testament, in Genesis 11, um, we have a story where there was really one unified language in the human race, and they came together, essentially. It's like an origin story, a myth. It tries to speak to why there's so many different languages in the world and the cultural development of all of that. Basically, this story would say there was a building of the Tower of Babel where people in their pride and their arrogance tried to reach God through technological means, through the oppression of other people, and through slave labor. Sounds familiar. And they build this tower, and essentially it just really dishonors the Lord. And there's the story that God scatters the people in, in, in different directions with different languages, that they end up speaking all of these different languages. Um, and it kind of separates people. And in Pentecost, you have the languages being spoken as the Spirit is poured out. And you have a reversal of that. You have a reversal of that separation to inclusion. We want uniformity. We want everybody to be the same. We want to build the monolith. We want to dominate. We want to become God, become divine. We want conformity. We want to make people get on our agenda. When we want uniformity, God wants unity. He doesn't want uniformity. God wants unity. When we want conformity, God, God doesn't want conformity. God wants communion. And there's a whole different thing going on here. Not uniformity, but unity. The Spirit wants unity. We want conformity. The Spirit wants communion. There's a great reversal of death to life, of separation to inclusion. So here we have these three ways to kind of understand Pentecost. God's presence poured out in all people, dwelling all people. The expansion of the story to all people and the inclusion in the story of all people. I love what Professor Sarah Coakley says. Um, she's an Anglican priest, systemic theologian, philosopher of religion, and she simply says this, which sums it up. The Spirit is the great interrupter of our plans. The Spirit interrupts our plans. The way that we think it's going to go, the way that even the early disciples thought it was going to go, the Spirit gets in the way of that. And God has got another way. And Peter gets up, as I said, and he preaches, and we have 3,000 people come to faith. And when he preaches, he says this, he, he echoes essentially the prophet Joel, and he says, in the last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters, your young men, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And there's a fulfillment of that at Pentecost. And we still live in that today as we, the church today in 2023, celebrate Pentecost. We continue to live that story out, the story of God's presence in all people, the story of God's expansion to all people, and the story of God's inclusion of all people. Pentecost is this great reversal. There is 
barriers broken down, people unified, life displacing death, all through the mysterious outpouring of the Spirit, filling each one of us. Um, I was thinking about this this week, and I was reflecting on the fact that there's, despite man's attempt, there's been no empire or government or, or movement um, that's ever really achieved that. Like, for all we've tried, it would tr we often go our way and try the uniformity way or the conformity way, um, but we can never really do that. And I kind of think now, in today's age, how much do we need an understanding of being united in diversity, of being genuinely united despite our differences, where lines, people can, they're, they're, people can actually stand in different places, on different, from different places, with different stories, and yet there's something that brings us together that is not an oppressive conformity or uniformity. There is something that is only possible, and I believe this with all my heart, that only the Spirit of God can do, and it is to bring us as human beings together at the feet of Christ, in the Spirit of Christ. No empire, no government, no philosophy, no leader can do what the Spirit of God has done and is doing. God's presence in all people God's expansion to all people, God's inclusion of all people. As we come to the table um, of bread and of wine, um, there's a few um, things I just wanted to kind of draw out for us as we, as we come to a close, as we seek to reflect. I think it's really important for us to, to celebrate the birthday of the church. I think it's really important. And My prayer is that as a community here, that by the Spirit's help, that we can shake the cynicism, and that we can really commit ourselves to, to being the church as God intends. And I say that hum humbly. Because Celebrating the birthday of the church for some of us doesn't really seem like a good thing to celebrate when we sometimes read the headlines or whatever. We've had terrible experiences in church communities, perhaps. But the church, the, the real church, not the 1% that gets reported, the real church that's doing real good things in this world is worth celebrating. I read this quote this week. The church is a 2,000-year-old, 2 billion-strong revolutionary movement of love, the most culturally and socially diverse community on earth. By day, we conspire to serve, forgive, and create beauty. Around the world, we seek to educate, liberate, and advocate for those who have no voice. Our gospel has inspired artists from Michelangelo to Aretha Franklin, activists from William Wilberforce to Martin Luther King, scientists from Sir Isaac Newton to the genesist Francis Collins. And that's just like a snapshot, a scrape in the barrel of like, the church is a beautiful 
yes, messy, but beautiful thing to celebrate. And it is this day on Pentecost Sunday that we get to celebrate that, get to repent, yes, of our pride and our arrogance and the ways that we've tried to build the towers of Babel, even in the temple of God. Repent of that. Let's celebrate the thing that God's really trying to do. And he doesn't do it by coercion, but he does it by love. That's the first kind of thought. The second thought um, for some of us maybe is more personal. And I'm just reminded about John 20 when Jesus appears to his disciples and he says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent you, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a gift to be received um, and, and, and poured out upon each of us. Personally, I really, truly believe that. Believe it or not, inside me is a raving charismatic still <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the best way possible. And I have been there and seen that and got the t-shirt in terms of all the weird and wonderful and wacky world of our brothers and sisters and the charismatic world, the Pentecost world. And I love them with all my heart and we need them. And we want to be filled with the Spirit, people genuinely filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm just reminded of that verse, which is peace be with you. And there's some of you in this room today that you just, you really would love some peace, some real peace the kind of peace that passes logical understanding, as the scriptures say, the kind of peace that doesn't make sense logically, the kind of peace that you can't explain, but like genuine peace, a place where you can exist out of that is deep, that is restful, that is full of trust in the only one who is worthy of that trust in Jesus. Jesus breathed on them in a world where our greatest foe is death, take our breath, Jesus breathes his life into us. It's interesting language to describe the filling of the Spirit as breath. Of course, in a world where we've had viruses and diseases that take breath, it's really interesting to see that God, the language that, um, and the metaphor that is used here is breath. Jesus breathes his life into us. The sustaining breath that holds up this world. In a world where systemic racism squeezed the breath out of someone like George Floyd, we have the breath of God filling us with life. This is the great reversal of God to fill everything in Christ by his spirit to bring peace and life and justice and unity and love. What hope what hope. We can celebrate our differences together because we are filled with the Spirit of God, the same Spirit. Remember, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor, nor free, male nor female. We are one in Christ. The last thought, and I'd love to invite the band to come up at this point. We're going to come to the table. is <clears throat> just the verses in John 7 that Jesus says, um, Another festival going on and Jesus is talking with his disciples and he, he turns to his disciples and he says this, let anyone who thirsts come for me, come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scriptures have said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. 
Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to, to receive. For as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So that, that was a, an encounter with Jesus before Jesus had, had died and resurrected. And, but the, the, the words of Jesus, let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. For out of their heart shall flow rivers of living water. And so we have this celebration of the birthday of the church. We have this metaphor of breath, and then we have this metaphor now of water. Um, fresh water. And I, I just couldn't help but think that for many of us here today, all of us here today, there's an opportunity to receive afresh the Spirit of God to come and to flow through us, to flow out of us, to heal, to bring shalom, to bring peace to those parts of us that are parched, that are wounded. And I can't do that. And our leadership team here can't do that. And any Christian pastor, leader, church that will tell you they can, they can't do that. It is only by the Spirit of God that we can truly have life. In fact, I was thinking about this even as an, as an extension to anything we do in church this week. I was talking with some people that were talking about the struggle it is to find community in church. Great doing all the stuff, but can't find the community. And yet, as a church, we've been through seasons where we've had sweet fellowship. And there's been that kind of wrestle, but we're, we, we need to get out and do stuff. And it doesn't matter what season you're in and what era you're in and what you're doing. There's always ways that we can grow. It's like any family of human beings. But here's the thing. The kingdom of God is not going to come by our works. The kingdom of God is not going to come by our works. The community of this place is not going to come by our works. Hiya, you're going to come up. The community of God is not going to come it's only going to come by the Spirit working in us. I can create community in this place as much as Dan can create community or Stephanie can create community or our table leaders can create community. Community is created when the believers are filled with the Spirit so much so that they, they have the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of Christ and the gifts of the Spirit. And together as the family of God, we are knitted as a family. And so it is only by the filling of the Spirit that we can do the things that we want to do, that we can form the family that we want to be, that we can cross the lines that we want to cross. And so my prayer as we come to the table this morning is that we could receive the Spirit afresh. And that might look like something very quiet. It might look like something not so quiet. It could look like different things in different ways for different people. But the main thing is to have an openness, a yes to the Lord, to say, Lord, fill me afresh with your spirit so that the only spirit that animates me, that leads me, is your spirit, the spirit of Christ, that together we may be knitted together as a family. And for some of you who are feeling perhaps that you're just feeling dry, you're feeling parched, you may be feeling You've got some wounds, some hurts. 
I really trust the Spirit to come and to breathe His life on you, to reverse what has been done, to bring healing, to bring hope, to speak a new start, a new chapter, a new beginning. I'd love you to stand. I just love to read this. I love what Dana Butler Bass says, that Pentecost is a, is a story of creation where wind, water, fire, and earth form a new world. Thus, these last days are not days of violent destruction of earth. The last days are only the days of violent destruction of all that God opposes, oppression, injustice, violence, cruelty, poverty, inequity. These are the last days of God's distance from us. God is with us. The body of God, Jesus' own people, the Spirit indwells. God is near, God is with, and God is within. These are the first days of a new creation towards a new wholeness in the community of humans and in and with the world, the long-hoped-for reign of God on earth. So the wind is your symbol. As the wind is your symbol, so, so forward our goings. As the dove, so launch us homeward toward a new earth. As water, so purify our spirits. As fire, so purge out our dross. Amen. I'd love you to pray with me this Pentecost prayer. And after this prayer, then, we're going to sing and come to the table, and we're going to celebrate the birthday of the church, and we're going to repent of the ways that we haven't been the church. I don't mean us in Redeemer necessarily. I mean just globally. I just mean, Lord, forgive us and help us to be brothers and sisters that love one another and bring your love to the world, and we can celebrate all that Christ has done for us in the bread and in the wine. Just a little side note, if you're new this morning, you're welcome at the table. Everybody is welcome at this table. No one is excluded. If you want to be at this table, Jesus' table, you're welcome to come and participate. The words are going to come up on the screen. Let's say this together. Welcome, spirit, wind, animator, sustainer. You birthed the cosmos, ever-expanding, every. You circulate over earth, breeze across the surface of eternal waters, teasing waves to roll. You twist up the dusty ground and give dimension to your beloved. You inhabit the dead, create space in the hearth of our being to welcome spirit fire, the igniter of true life. Take up our hearts, surrendered, kindling before your breath, sparked flicker to flame stoke the hearts of your people like floating embers of the tongue one anthem will rise and emblazoned by faith and catch on like wildfire unity is the work of the spirit gather us to your life force O oh God leave no coal unlit not one soul in the cold thank you for tending to your light with 
within us. Oh God, thank you for sustaining the light of our souls. Amen. <laughs>